Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, crypto traders worldwide. I'm back with another update for the new year. This one's going to be a co-joined informational slash update episode. So it's a little bit of news and a little bit of informational pieces. I was having some conversations yesterday, very interesting backs and forth, mostly triggered based on my coverage of Shirio Inu that I figured I would share with the larger audience that didn't hear or see this because it inspired me to kind of elaborate a little bit more on my methodology and what I've learned from doing this. So I'm going to start first with the exchange. So I'm going to cover an exchange. It won't take that long to cover the exchange. Then I'm going to go into the my list here of the kind of the findings. Then I'm going to round it out with our new underdog token. And this one I'm really bullish on and I'm shocked at their performance. So I'm excited to cover that. But let's get right into the exchange because we can get that out of the way. I mentioned yesterday, I believe, about trying to trade my Ryoshi vision and struggling to do so because of the nonsense that is ZT.com, which I do not recommend. The other exchanges that are in play is Buybox, which Buybox bans the United States, so they were out of the whack. The other one was Cointiger, and Cointiger is who I'm going to talk about today. Cointiger, the interesting thing about them, I'm going to spotlight them for one reason. Cointiger, it looks like it's based out of China but it has an English interface. It's actually a very nice interface. It's a very friendly interface. It's easy to transfer. It's easy to transition. It's easy to interact with it. They'd have very low minimums. It's actually a very pleasant interface and it surprised me. The only thing I don't like about theirs is the way their security works because they will require you to do multiple hoops. So like, for example, you set up an account, they send you a a link in email. You got to click the link and then after you click the link, go back to the site and then it lets you in. Then they'll do the puzzle nonsense that they all do from China. And it's just layers of nonsense, kind of like Gate.io, but it seems to be more aggressive with it. It started to drive me nuts. But once I got in, I started to see, okay, this is pretty cool, the way this works. And they have a lot of tokens. They support a lot of the lesser tokens that you wouldn't have expected on there. And so I suspect that they're just one of those easy ones to deal with. Um, Shiba Doge is another one I believe went on Cointiger most recently. So it maybe they're newer and I just didn't know about them. I'm covering them for two main reasons. Number one, when I went in there, I tested just doing a basic send. So I took my Antisenu, which I talked about, and I sent it over there because Antisenu, I wanted to, they have a one of those giveaways. You get in there and do a certain amount of transactions, and they'll give you a certain amount of tokens. And I wanted to kind of play in that, see if it was going to work and if I was going to be able to get tokens out of it. I eventually then transferred it out because there's a point in their FAQ that says make sure you do KYC if you're going to do the giveaway because that's how they you know vet you as far as withdrawals. But you can't do KYC if you're in the United States because the United States is not one of the options in the list. It doesn't block you. It doesn't stop you. It doesn't filter you. It doesn't warn you. It doesn't do anything. It just it lets you do the stuff, but it doesn't let you do the KYC because you can't choose the United States. So I sent them a message. And I'm just saying, hey, I don't see K- I don't see U.S., how do I do KYC? They responded back, and they said, just pick whatever country's in the list. <laughs> okay. I, you know, that kind of defeats the purpose because my ID is a United States ID, so you're not going to be able to vet it. So I think that they, you know, they're just kind of, let's say, half-assing the KYC is my assumption. I don't know. But I thought that was funny. Regardless of KYC, though, they'll still let you do the transactions. You can still deposit. You can still withdraw far as I can tell, you can still go to fiat. I wouldn't recommend it, but I could probably use them to just kind of swap currency. So 
if I have one of these other tokens that's only on Coin Tiger, I could theoretically use that to kind of cash them out if I need to to BNB or to Ethereum or something else. And then, you know, send it where I need it to go to do the rest of it, like LBank or Hotbit or, you know, one of the other ones. But I, I call it out just because, again, it'll let you do the trade. So if you are in Ryoshi Vision and you are interested in trying to transact it at an exchange level so you can avoid the gas fees because gas fees are a nonsense right now on the Ethereum side, except for like 1 a.m. Pacific. Then Cointiker, I think it's okay for that purpose. If you're not in the United States, it's probably okay. You know, you might have a list. I saw everything else. I saw United Kingdom. I saw Venezuela. I saw everybody else. It's just the United States, as far as I could tell, was the only one not in the list. All that seems to mean is that you wouldn't be able to participate in the various giveaways they do, as far as I can tell. I didn't go as far as the transactions to do the giveaway because I was a bit hesitant of whether the deposit withdrawal would even work, and I didn't want to lose my tokens. Because one thing that I will mention on a later update, probably tomorrow-ish, is about when the exchanges change their mind, they yank a token so that you can't transact it anymore. So I get hesitant about leaving. I talked about it in wallets and exchanges. You don't really own the tokens when it's left in the exchange. You're taking a risk. And with the BitMart hat in particular, you could have a situation where, you know, just outside of their control, something happens and then you lose your tokens and you don't get them back because they don't really have to give them back to you. It's in the terms and conditions. So I didn't go the full throttle as far as I could tell, for basic conversions. So remember, if you're using an exchange, ideally you're only using it to kind of convert your crypto to another form so that you can then buy what you really want. I wouldn't leave them there unless you have no choice or it's financially advantageous and you really trust them. And then that's why I go through these reviews of the various exchanges so you can understand the pros and cons from my perspective as an investor as I use them for the purposes I intend. I'm not talking about the advanced uses, today because I don't want to confuse the audience today. I'm just talking about the simple transaction need that everybody has, which is I have cryptocurrency A, I need cryptocurrency B. That could simply be that I need something that's on the Ethereum chain sold so I can buy something that's on the Binance chain. You can't easily do that in your wallet. You can easily do that in exchange. So that's why I'm talking about the exchanges so you know the pros and cons of each ones. And in my opinion, by and large, you're going to want to sign up to a couple of them. And the big ones out there, LBank, I, I recommend LBank. I recommend KuCoin. I kind of recommend Hotbit. They got a couple of issues, but they're not that bad. I never recommended BitMart, if you remember. I think ZT is crap. I think Indox is ghetto, but it works. Like There's all these nuances to each one. And so if you're new, definitely go back in the episodes where I cover each exchange. If you're new to exchanges... Just be aware you can't just settle on any one. Like if you're in the United States and you settle on Coinbase, Coinbase is extremely limited in terms of what you do. And there are things you want to know about networks and how they work. And I'm going to cover that in a future episode as well. So that's Cointiger. It's an exchange out there based out of China. I have no concerns with it. Just know that if you're in the United States, you're not going to be able to do KYC. It doesn't stop you from being able to convert crypto but I wouldn't necessarily leave any crypto there for an extended period because you just don't know at any point in the future, they could lock it down. You could lose your access to your funds. That's what happened with Binance.com way back in the day. I wouldn't want to see that happen to you. So just be careful and I think you'll be okay. So now let's go ahead and talk about this, this list I got here. And this came from a conversation. I covered Shirio in you on a very past episode. 
and we were chatting about Shirio Inu and Cytomask, and there were some kind of, I don't want to call it FUD, because I think people's concerns are legitimate, around Lily Finance. And Lily Finance, of course, is kind of like the star, quote-unquote, of Cytomask, and Cytomask, of course, is coming tomorrow. It's supposed to. And people think Lily's a scam. I want to talk about what the chatter is out there, because if any of the Satama developers hear this podcast, I want you to understand why I repeatedly say I've been bullish about Satama since day one. I was bullish about Lily. I did a dedicated episode for them because I'm bullish about what they're talking about. The mistakes that I'm seeing, by and large, every last one of them are preventable and avoidable, and I don't want them to happen. But I don't think people are listening in terms of trying to prevent this kind of outcry from the investors and not to say the haters going to hate stance either because that's dismissive, disrespectful. Your investors are your boss and you need to treat them that way, which means every voice matters. And the one predominant message from those that are still skeptical about Cytomask and Satama and the whole infrastructure is that Russ has bought into different things and is involved in different things. And because of what happened with Suzuki, which I don't think was his fault, but the money that went to Suzuki and everything else is a lot of smoke. And because of the smoke, people are now making assumptions about Lily. And there's a chatter that Lily is basically a scam or it's a pump and dump because of the money that went from Satama funds to help get Lily off the ground. Now I can see, because I run a business myself, what I'm pretty sure is happening, which is that Russ is using the knowledge he's gained and the developer resources he has in the Satama side in order to help get Lily off the ground. And then at some point, either be a member of the board or, or maybe even back off it. But I think he's trying to help fund it and kind of get it going. This is common in crypto, that you have crypto whales, as they're called, in one aspect that then helps set up other cryptos on the other side because they want to kind of create that whole big thing and create kind of a network. Multiple are doing it. It's not a big deal. Where it becomes a problem in people's minds out there in Reddit and other places is up front. It was never stated, and I'm stressing the word up front. It was never stated. Ideally, they want to see that Russ comes out and says, guys, here's what I'm doing. I am going to go and help these guys get set up. I am going to use some of the money to get this off the ground. I am going to be involved in its ongoing growth and development. I am going to help them get registered. I am going to do this. I will, I will, I will with dates and then an ROI. Because if you're using investor funds, they have the right to know how their money is being used. If he's using his own money, he should just straight up say it before it launches. What happens is Lily comes out of nowhere. It's a great announcement. I saw the white paper. I saw what they're trying to do. It's a legitimate problem. I've worked in healthcare. I understand the issue. And I think it's compelling. And so I've been bullish on it. But people started digging. His enemies started digging. And they find that Russ's name is all over things. They find his contract wallet address. They find the large money sends. They find all this smoke, and then they don't get a response as to why are they discovering it, and it was never just upfront disclosed, which is what other ones do. Like if you look at ParaEMU, that's exactly what they've done. They've been transparent upfront before they do a thing. They did a video that straight up said, this is the problem we're gonna solve. We involve people in the military because we think they're the ones most affected. This is where we're going next. This is what we're doing here. We're about to drop the wallet here. We're about to do this. We're about to do a burn up front before they do it. That's why it has had a very strongly bullish trend pattern 
as opposed to Satama that now has kind of turned bearish and it has spikes, but it's never able to sustain because you still have these people who are essentially enemies, not of the project, but of the team. Like nobody thinks the project is a scam. They think less of the development team because of what happened with Suzuki, because of what happened November 13th, because of what happened with the site of mass being released early, which wasn't their fault. Like all these things are not their fault. But it's the communication has been lacking up front before this starts spreading. So I've been having chats with people, and I did the same chat with Shib, but now it's coming with Lily, it's coming with Shirio, it's coming with Kishimoto, it's coming with Luffy, it's coming with all these different projects that are going to be in some way associated with Cytomask because of Suzuki primarily. People are skeptical about the other projects, and they're afraid that giving of their Satama might cause them to eventually to be a pump and dump. Now, I'm going to tell you straight up for the record from my angle as an investor, I think it's extremely unlikely to happen because you've now released a wallet that puts your name and your business up front in terms of the transactions. I did call out on Twitter that their terms and conditions have terms I think are very blatantly unenforceable. I think that they wrote them in good faith, and I think that they will work to try to get them forced, but some of the stuff is just blatantly unenforceable in certain states. You're not going to be able to get away with it. And if you have high-powered people like I suspect you do in Satama land, they're going to have high-powered lawyers who will trash those in court. So as an investor, I'm skeptical only because, uh, at least initial of the tool, only because of the terms and conditions, not because of the tool itself, but because of what you're saying in the terms, which is, well, if we lose money, we're out of it. Doop, doop, doop. Well, you can't really say that. If you put bad code out there or you put malicious code out there, one of your developers goes rogue and you do that and it causes a loss of money and we're dealing with blockchain here, they will come after you and they will recoup their money and you will not force arbitration and you will not limit a thousand. Like all of these are unrealistic. We just saw it. They went after the dudes that stole on Squid Game. They went after them and got the money back and that had no terms to it. They went after the guys that were still in Bitcoin and they got the money back. They will do it when there's large amounts of money and more importantly, large amounts of tax dollars potentially lost. They will come after you. Terms be damned. I understand you do what you do as a business. I'm saying that as an investor, that would be the last thing that I am I'm not bearish but skeptical about with the tool is the way the terms are presented. So I'm explaining this in these conversations where I say, I've kind of categorized, and this is my message for everybody listening, I've kind of categorized tokens so far in eight high-level buckets. And I want to go through those real quick before I get to our next token because I'm going to kind of use this as my rubric, as it were, and I may dedicate an episode to this rubric, about how I kind of look at a token and categorize them. They seem like there's a pattern to where they fit into these. Number one, you have tokens that, it's a great project. It's a fantastic project. The code is clean. It may have some issues during audit, but they get resolved. But the tokenomics are sound. You see strong growth. It's it's likely a long term in almost every situation, but it's able to get some short term excitement around it. And one of these is Keanu Inu, which I've talked about ad nauseum. And there's been there are still people holding Keanu Inu, waiting for the. The new project that's coming, that one's going through its process. It's going to take some time. And then that one of the people that's heading that one has asked to come on the show and talk about what happened, which I'd like to talk about with him because he was an investor in that one. 
So the Keanu Inu, I think it's kind of universally agreed. That was a fantastic project with strong growth potential. That guy should have been where Satama is now times two. It was a solid project. The only issue with it was tying to Keanu Reeves. And I don't mean the name. I'm talking the footage and the use of likeness, which I called out as a mistake multiple times. And the developer just had just incompetence, didn't understand, freaked out over the cease and desist, da, 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 da. ID Finance, which I've covered, I think that they're good people, but I don't think, I think they're in over their heads and it's hard for them to break when they made the bad decision to send tokens to the idiot Vitalik. They make bad decisions because they're desperate and the desperation is causing them not to grow. That token should be way high. That token should be where Angie is now and it's not because I think the developers are not on the right page. If I were running both sides, I'd come, I'd talk to the Angie people. I'd have Angie and ID consolidate as part of a singular ecosystem. And then I would promote both to the nth degree because they're both solid projects. It's just the developers on the ID side don't know what the heck they're doing, in my opinion, on a, a fantastic project. But there's a lot of those where the developers are holding it back from what's great because they either they're in over their head or they don't know what the heck they're doing. Santa Coin, I covered that one. I think it's great code, great tokenomics, and they had gold. They were sitting on gold around Christmas, and then they botched it. And so they're not a scam, from what I can tell. I don't see scam. I see it's a token that's being misused or abused because the developers don't know what they're doing. Category number two, ego. I have an ego episode dedicated to it. Usually these ones, you know the pattern. Telegram, they're just banning people that ask valid questions. They don't know what the heck they're doing, or they'll just ignore investors that are calling out issues. Satama fits in this category. They've ignored feedback of issues that have happened. The November 13th is number one. Cytomask is number two. This, the Willie D thing. And I want to clarify again for the naysayers. I think all the stuff that happened are not malicious things. I think what's happening is they're not putting it up front before the enemies find it. That's what I'm talking about. So I call out that, hey, that's going to be a concern. You might want to redirect and kind of regroup and they ignore me they ignore many other people satama does that shiv does that ryoshi visions doing that affinity hold i mean i've covered a lot of these tokens where it's not that it's a bad project it's not they're a solid project they're great projects they have a potential to make people money but the developers don't listen will they eventually succeed probably but in the short term they're not able to grow like they should and they're not able to sustain the growth that they do get we see that in every single one i just named you can go look for yourself Number three, tokens that are bad code, but it's otherwise a good project. It's just bad code. Like you look at it, it's like this guy should be sitting on gold, but its code holds it back. So far, the only one I've found that fit that one is EarnHub. If you look at EarnHub's price movement, there's no way it should be tanking like it is. But the way that they built it, the gas fees are a simple joke. And apparently the whitelisting that may or may not happen, is part of the culprit. So you, yeah, you can anyflect any of these tokens, but if it's not whitelisted on one side or the other, you're getting nailed. One time I was giving me a quote for $10 in BNB. That doesn't sound like a lot if you're on the Ethereum, but BNB is supposed to be around like 20 cents to a dollar, maybe two, not 10. So that usually means unoptimized code where you're relying on a whitelisting to do it, or if it's one of their mirror pools. The problem with the mirror pool is you got to get in early or the APY just goes to crap and then it doesn't reflect like any other token because the volume's down so because volume's down the anyflect becomes useless well that's its main sell point so it's a great project like this should be passive income 101 for every token but because of the sellouts that have happened 
And some of it's the BNB value being crapped, but it's the sellouts also are contributing a lot to the loss of it because a lot of these people just sold out. And remember, I called that out on the safe earn episode that you're going to have whale sellouts. And we don't know what the long term is for that one. I am bullish on it. I just think it's bad code because it should not rely on whitelisting to keep the gas low. Number four, tokens where everything's right, the developers are cool, but just better tokenomics. We're seeing an evolution of tokenomics where it's a great project. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just that the tokenomics no longer are attractive to the newer investors out there. EverEth, I covered that one. SafeMoon, I covered that one. Dozilla, I covered that one. RichQuack, I covered that one. If you notice their patterns, they never sustain. They're always up and down and up and down. And some up and down is normal. But when it gets excessive, where they can't seem to break that glass ceiling, that seems to indicate that just there's other tokens catching attention. One of them I will talk about here in a minute. Number five, tokens that target a limited target audience, meaning that you're, you're focused on a core group of people, and that's fine, but you're never going to be able to expand your potential. Kishimoto, I called out, that's one of its biggest challenge I see, is you're so focused on anime and your visions and your ads that it's going to be hard for you to breach outside of that. And being on Cytomask will help, but are people going to think it's a pump and dump because you have Emu on there? Or are people going to think you're not credible because you got anime people on there? And people are going to ask about utility and what are you going to be able to do? So then Shirio came up. Well, I don't think Shirio has that stigma, but Shirio has done a much better job getting an organic community behind it. It's done a much better job of trying to break the notion that it's only about anime. They're using anime to kind of position itself for good growth. And frankly, the artwork is 10 times better than what Kishimoto's got going on. Additionally, Kishimoto's developers, I called out, their development team and their moderators are not on the same page so the communication is scatterbrained their social media platforms are down they're not getting a lot of chatter just like EarnHub, which for them that's just it's not that they're not listening they're not talking to each other they hear feedback and they share feedback but they don't they're not talking to each other so there's this cross traffic happening with them i think that also limits it but i really think that some of these tokens just they get so focused on one aspect of a thing and never think about going beyond that. Number six, tokens that at one point were a rug pull, meaning they truly were verified to be a scam, but then at some point, either because of an ownership change or something else, they're trying to go straight and they struggle. Floki is number one on that list. Floki had two rug pulls prior to the current iteration of a thing. If you notice Floki's pattern of behavior, it is never able to break the glass ceiling, which I 100% subscribe to, not just stigma, but they don't really have anything that breaches them above that ceiling. There's nothing that makes them stand out over tokens that are already out there. I also think that there are people that just are still kind of burned from the fact that there were two rug pulls. They were two verified rug pulls. You had rug pull number one, and then a new owner comes in, and then they rug pull again. At some point, you can only take so much abuse, right? Number seven, tokens that legitimately are. Like, it's it's obvious, and there's no second guessing about it. Rug pulls, scams, and honeypots. Obviously, Squid Game fits there. Safe Cat Girl was one. Uh, Sandbox. Sandbox released on the Ethereum network. They released one on the Binance that looked solid, legit, and then it turns out to be a, a honeypot. And then number eight, tokens that look like this is the one that we want. That's why it's last. Tokens that look like they got everything good. The tokenomics are good. 
they're, they're unique in their approach. And the developers, most importantly, they communicate with people. They seem to be open to feedback and they're doing everything right, which is a rare thing. And notice, I do not have Satama here because it's all about not just the project and being a solid project, but also having a solid team behind it and wanting the smoke, putting your face out there, putting your name out there, doing a white paper, et cetera, ad nauseum. So far, and I'm increasingly finding more, but so far I found Paraenu. I honestly think it's, it's the model so far of what I've seen of what I would love every crypto to be is Paraenu because, Paraenu, because they were open from day one about what they were doing and why they were here and what they wanted and they've applied for audits fresh out of the gate and they communicated everything about them. They put a face to the name. They've talked about their mission statement and what they want to achieve. They've done burns like they promised they were going to do. And as the holder count improves, they purposely built the contract to persist value as best they could. And it's a reasonably priced to tokenomics. The tokenomics are solid all the way around. Like there's nothing I could complain about with Perry Emu. That's anything that they could change. Like to me, I would love to see them on site of mass because I think it ties very nicely into what Lily is talking about in their future state. But that's not their fault if they don't get on it. Maybe it's not a good fit for one reason or another. But other than that, I can't, you know, I'd love to see them on exchanges and they applied for exchanges. So it's like they're listening to feedback and they're trying to evolve the project and they're trying to make it successful. And they have been so far good in what they've done. They stand out. The token I'm going to talk about today is one I think is a standout, at least so far. It's tokenomics are rock solid and the team's really good. And then the DR token, which, of course, I covered uh, at some point in the past. We, I had striking on the episode, and I've covered them as a token. They're doing the migration now. The new token, the branding, everything is kind of revisited. And, you know, I got a question about, well, how come the, you know, with the DR token, it's not like number four or number five or number six or, well, let me break that down. The reason Dior doesn't fit as number four is because Dior's tokenomics are right there at the pinnacle with everybody else. It's just that not enough people, they have a lot of holders. I think it's over 35,000 holders. So clearly they're doing something right. The thing though with Dior token is that they're not doing the same level of shill aggressive type advertisement that you might see with other tokens. So you only hear about them from credible sources, which is striking and the coffee was striking and the podcast that the team do there and certain limited YouTubers will talk about it. People that stumble across it will talk about it. It gets a little bit chatter on social media. Podcasters like myself might talk about it. You're hearing about it from credible sources. Like it's not like somebody who's just shilling it to shill it because they got paid a hundred thousand dollars. As far as I know, you're hearing it from legitimate sources. So that negates number four because the tokenomics are rock solid and they're trying to succeed on their own merits. It's not built on number five because everybody needs to do your research. Like, let's be honest here. So their marketing and branding and everything talks to everybody in crypto. I don't care if it's the Ethereum token. You still need to do your own research because remember what happened with CryptoKitties. Like, you, everybody needs to do their own research. It speaks to everybody. It speaks to the whole population. And it certainly doesn't fit number six because it was never a rug pull. What happened with the CEO was unfortunate, but that was not the core it tried to be a rug pull, but remember, they were able to recoup liquidity and put it back, and they were transparent in communication about what happened. And ultimately, the whole reason that they're trying to rethink the contract now is to try to introduce mechanics to try to avoid exactly what happened. So you have to look at it in terms of the intent of the programmers and the developers to bring back what happened. 
in a rug pull as confirmed. You didn't get your money back. In the first and second Floki phases, they didn't get the money back. Keanu did not get its money back. They are true rug pulls by definition of said. Keanu's a bit unique because he didn't yank the liquidity. He just happened to hold the largest bag. And so when he sold, it tanked the project and it never really recovered. In the case of Dior Token, the old CEO was pulling liquidity out because of the way that he did it. But they were able to recover it and put it back and give back to the investors. That negated it being a rug pull. It, it might have been if they had not been able to recover the funds. But because they were able to recover it and make everybody whole, it doesn't fit the qualification number six. So I don't think that their credibility was affected by this because they didn't have very many people sold out when they restored the liquidity and they restored the contract. This is V2. They didn't have very many people leave it. That means they had the trust and confidence of the holder pool. So it does not fit number six. It doesn't fit four, five, or six. That one certainly fits number eight. I would, I'm on record saying that the way that they've done what they've done, there's certainly number eight clear. I don't see any concern with that one. I don't see any concerns with Angie or Cardano, but some of them are long plays. Many of them that are credible are long plays, and I think that that's a factor to take into consideration. Let's get into our underdog token. You know, I, again, I this one, I, I forget even how I found this one. I think it might have come across Dex Tools, maybe. And I, I read the white paper on it, and I was very intrigued what they're talking about. They built using AI, artificial intelligence, built and are working on a tool that is designed to help you identify honeypots in advance and help you identify those gems, as they call them, before they start to skyrocket. This token's called... Market move. Its code is move. It's on the Binance smart chain. And there are many similar tools like this one. But the unique part about market move, if you look at their website and the tokenomics that they're putting out there, it's unlike anything that I've personally seen in a project. Because when they talked about the token and how they wanted to, how they presented hyperdeflationary and their kind of impression of what that meant. So they, by holding the token, you get access to these various tools to be able to find the gems and identify honeypots and do limit buys and sells on PancakeSwap, which PancakeSwap by itself doesn't do. So if you're on the exchanges, one thing that you ideally want to be able to do is limit orders and be able to buy, you know, buy low and sell high and that kind of stuff. But you're never able to really do that against PancakeSwap. You can, but it's not, it's clunky. But also notifications when things execute after you do limit buys and sells. So if you're in the DEXs, like a pancake swap, you just kind of have to trust it and then go back in and check the wallet. So being able to kind of treat those as an exchange and put a wrapper over it was compelling, but also stop loss orders. So if something's about the tank, you can do that. Whale watching to see if there are whales that you know they're going to potentially dump or tank certain tokens. That was also compelling. But also the move has a, the, the way the mechanics work, there's reflections that apply, but there's also a very strong buyback. During the last few days, we've seen a lot of red in the token, uh, in the contract space, all the way around. Red, all of the place. There's held greening for the longest time, never really tanked, even now. It never really tanked, and it's been able to sustain, and I attribute this to this buyback that they did that's a, that's designed to help persist and maintain the value of the token and i don't think that any other token's been able to do it the way they've done it which was very exciting to watch it actually do it 
So I bought that bag and I've been just watching it. And so far I've been extremely impressed with however they've managed to pull that off. The distribution is solid. They've burned and some of this is locked, but they locked 90% of the liquidity for 10 years. There's not a dev wallet, but they did do a pre-sale and some airdrops and some private sales and things, pieces, but they were small. And then they burned 75%. There is a marketing and development wallet. There's a 7% reflection to holders when people sell, but a 1% when they buy. Well, think about this. Remember I talked about on some of the other ones like Coal Bank as an example. I talked about the idea of having a lesser fee for people to buy and a greater fee for people to sell. That's exactly what they did. So you're nailed anytime you sell to the degree of like 18%, but then when you buy, it's like 7% or 8%. It's a, it's a much more fair split of taxation. And then the distribution, you still get reflections either way, but you get more reflections when people sell. And then, of course, there's the buyback, which they refer to as price protect. The price protect kicks in. It's 3.5% on buys and then 7% on sells, which from what I've seen in the price movements over this past week or so has been extremely effective in keeping the price reasonably stable, which I think that's what everybody should want. If you read their white paper and you look at their site, they are 100%. They want the smoke. They're exposed. They're out there. They got LinkedIn sites, names, faces, explanations, the whole nine. They're, these guys are legit. They're not going anywhere. And this is one that you definitely want to pay attention to. I am celebrating their success in this token and what they've been able to achieve. Again, there are multiple tools that do this kind of functionality or at least try to, but I've not seen any that have been able to pull off the stability aspect of the token's value like these guys did in a very challenging time, which gives me confidence that their tokenomics is a one of those long-term type deals. And this guy, I see no reason that it can't get, you know, well over a dollar when it gets to its peak because I, I'm just shocked at the level of performance for it. When I look at the tokenomics in terms of price movement, general price movement of the token, now the token I want you to make sure that you're aware, if you, because it's in the Binance Smart Chain, gas prices are extremely low. That means you can buy in at a reasonably good price point. It's already at a significant high price. It only has $1 trillion in inventory of which, 200 trillion is circulating. So in terms of price movement, it's got some potential. You're still early if you decide to buy in. It's still going to have some opportunity to generate some long-term wealth. And I'm, I'm really bullish on its movement so far. If you look at the buys and sells, I don't see any opportunity for anybody to heavily tank it. And you don't see like those significant levels of sells when you look at the charts. There are sells, but the contract just does such a great job of stabilizing the value I think it's something worth paying attention to. I will definitely at them. I would love to have them on the show. I doubt they'll respond, but I would love to have them on the show and just talk to them about, you know, how did this come? How did you think about doing it like this? Because I would love to see every single contract do this, do this kind of stability-based tokenomics where it's not just about the burns and reflections, but also a thought about how buyback really should work <laughs> to keep the, keep the value solid. And then the liquidity is very healthy. There's liquidity all over the place, and it's a very healthy liquidity. The vast majority of people are just buying through the BNB tokens, but it looks like it's got enough liquidity to sustain because of the way that everything works, and the buyback does not seem to be affecting the amount that's in the liquidity pool, which usually indicates a strong position moving forward. 
And I see no reason, again, it's got three zeros now. I see no reason it doesn't go near or possibly over a dollar at some point. When the tool comes out, again, holding a certain number of tokens or greater gives you access to additional functions of the tool, which is a interface for you to watch your trades and add your wallet and see your tokens and once again tell you about potential rug pulls, but also the gems that are out there. It's a strong, compelling utility, strong, compelling use case with very good tokenomics. Unlike any that I've seen, I think it's superior. It's, it's to me, the model of what crypto really should have been from day one. Volume's a little bit down, but I think it's going to recover as we get back into bullish sentiments. And a lot of this is based on the BNB pricing, which is still down because of the sellouts that happened on BNB. But I do think it's going to come back up. It's already trending back up as it is. And again, there has not been significant loss, even regarding, regardless of what's happened with the crypto industry. So that's my coverage for today. Again, I, I implore you to take a look at the move. Market move is its name. It's move is the call sign on the Binance chain. Take a look at it on Dex Tools and see if it makes sense for you. And I think that once you look at their site and look at what they're doing, you'll probably agree that it's a solid one. It's like one of those diamonds in the rough, as it were. I will check back in with you likely tomorrow because I don't think I'll have anything additional to cover. And then, of course, Cytomask is upon us. And I will do a live kind of talk about Cytomask and what I'm seeing of that tool when it's released. Take care.